um, please stand as we read God's word. And uh, as Pastor Bruce said, uh, it's there on your screen. It's Acts chapter 15, uh, verse 36 through 16, 5. And it's uh, found on uh, page 638 in your pew Bibles. Again, that's Acts 15, 36 through 16, 5 uh, on page 638 in your pew Bibles. And uh, Pastor Bruce is going to be talking about when missionaries disagree, but he also told me that that's also when Christ followers disagree. It's not exclusive to missionaries. And so let's go to God's word and see what has to say. Again, that's Acts 15, starting at verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back to visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted they should not take him, uh, take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in the region. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in number daily. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just come to you in Jesus' name. and We just thank you for your word. Um, thank you that that is so real and so applicable to our lives. And so uh, and it just really covers uh, such a myriad of things, even when we have disagreements and you Show us how we can deal with those in a way that is honoring to you and glorifying to you and that brings you glory. God, just help us to uh, listen with open hearts and open ears and ready to apply what you would have to say to us today and just speak through Bruce. God, we just want your name to be famous in this area and and throughout the world and just uh, for you to use us in, in that happening. God, we love you. Help us to love you more and to love one another more. In your name we pray, amen. If you are making plans to be a part of our World Outreach Celebration, October the 25th through the 29th, uh, man, mark it on your calendars and make note of it and just you know carve out the, that Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and then we have, of course, uh, Saturday morning men's breakfast, a Saturday luncheon for the ladies, and then Sunday morning with our discovery hour and our worship service, and then our celebrate unplug that Sunday night. And it's always a wonderful time uh, to go beyond borders with our missionary partners. And uh, we got a great lineup. You'll notice that in the bulletin there in your insert. And I hope you're making plans to come as we prepare for that through this series in the book of Acts, Acts chapters 15 through 20. Leslie Flynn wrote a book titled, Great Church Fights. Now, I've never read the book, although I must say the title does interest me, but it also reminds me 
that whenever two or three people get together, there will be disagreements. That is true in your family, that's true with friends, that is true on sports teams, in whatever teams, and that is true in the church. As we said last Sunday, when two or three people get together, it will get messy. The church gets messy, ministry gets messy, and even missionaries get messy. Why? Because we are messy people. And what I mean by that is we are imperfect people who are saved by a perfect Savior, who are gathered together striving to fulfill God's perfect mission. You ever thought to yourself, the church would be such a wonderful place if it weren't for all these people? Man, I thought that, and I'm the pastor. (laughs) Jeff Org wrote a book commending the church of Antioch as the model church to follow. And yet he acknowledges that even in great churches like the church at Antioch, conflicts arise. They just happen. He writes, and I quote, In a dream world, healthy churches have near-perfect pastors, leading unified, hard-working members. When the church is envisioned as the family of God, we imagine it resembling the perfect family. In reality, though, most churches are like normal families with crazy uncles, bossy aunts, unruly teenagers, imperfect fathers, and overworked mothers. How true that is. Now we began to see this missional messiness, if I can call it that, last Sunday, uh, with a doctrinal conflict that arose in the church. And now we see it play out again in a personal conflict between two missionaries. You're welcome to take notes, pull out that insert in your bulletin. If you want to follow along on the screen behind me, that's fine as well. But notice this in your notes, more missional messiness. And what we have here at the conclusion of Acts 15 is a sharp disagreement severs the relationship of two missionaries, Paul and Barnabas. Luke tells us here in verse 39 then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. Now the word there, sharp, that Luke uses is an interesting word. It actually means angry and bitter and hostile, painful disagreement. In other words, Luke wants to convey to us that passions were aroused between these two missionaries. This was no small disagreement. This was a sharp disagreement that severed their relationship. Now, if you think with me for a moment who Paul and Barnabas are. These were two men who had spent the last two years traveling together, teaching together, and even risking their lives together. They had just returned from their first missionary journey together where they shared the gospel beyond borders with the Jews and Gentiles. They also had just stood together in the Jerusalem church where they defended the gospel of grace for all peoples. And as a result, they preserved the unity and the purity of the church. But now, these same two men were so deeply divided over an issue that they parted from each other and went their separate ways. This is not a pretty story. In fact, you might say this almost looks like a black eye on the church here, on the early church. Breakups like this never are pretty. They're messy. 
And yet this story is here in God's Word for our benefit. Surely, we as Christ followers now in the 21st century, we are meant to read this and we are meant to learn from it. And so what I want us to do is examine the sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, two missionaries. Notice a few principles here to come out of this. Number one is to look at the heart of these two missionaries. Look at their heart. I want you to see the heart behind this, though. There's an old hockey pun that says, I went to a fight and a hockey game broke out. How many have heard that? A few of you. In other words, there are some places where you expect to see a fight break out, like at a hockey game. But the church at Antioch is not one of those places you expect to see a fight break out. This disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, it almost appears to just kind of blow up unexpectedly, which is a good reminder for us that this kind of disagreement, a sharp disagreement, can happen at any time in any context. Now, these were joyous days in the Antioch church. We just saw last Sunday here in Acts 15 that the Jerusalem Council handed down a historic decision affirming that Gentiles are saved by grace alone and Christ alone. And we are thankful for that. This is, this is phenomenal. In fact, Luke tells us in verse 31 of chapter 15 that this decision by the church at Jerusalem, it was read to the Antioch churches. In fact, it was also read to several other Gentile churches. And the Antioch church in particular says they rejoiced over its encouragement. And so this is a, a high moment here, if you will, for the Antioch church. In fact, Judas and Silas the, were brothers who delivered the good news from the Jerusalem church. They stayed in the Antioch church a while, and they taught the church. And we learn in verse 35 that Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch. And what are they doing? They're doing what they're gifted for. They're doing what they're shaped for, what God has called them to. They are teaching in preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Now the reason I bring this up, because I want you to see the context. It's within this context of teaching and preaching the word in the Antioch church where the wheels started turning on a second missionary journey. And here's where we really see the heart for the church of Paul and Barnabas. Notice this in your notes. Paul and Barnabas had a passion to strengthen the new churches that were planted on their first missionary journey. That's their heart. Luke writes in verse 36, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us. And so right immediately, Paul considers Barnabas part of his team here. They're, they're friends, they're partners. Let us. We're in this together. Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. And so like a true missionary, Paul was eager to go back to the fields where he and Barnabas first planted the seeds of the gospel. Where they saw new believers come to know faith, faith in Christ. Paul was ready to end their furlough. And together, see how these new believers were growing in their faith. He was ready to strengthen these new churches that were planted as a result of the gospel being planted there. Paul and Barnabas had a heart for the church and otherwise. They cared deeply for it. 
corporately and individually. They were both passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were passionate about the church of Jesus Christ. They both had a heart to see these new churches established and strengthened in the faith. But the heart of these two missionaries quickly erupts into heartbreak. Which brings us to our second principle here. Listen to the heartache of two missionaries. Listen to their heartache as Luke records it for us. Never ceases to amaze me how quickly relationships can just blow up. At the Jerusalem Council, Paul and Barnabas, understand, they are standing shoulder to shoulder in agreement about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But now, they are standing toe to toe in sharp disagreement over how that gospel should get to the Gentiles. Now let me just make a note here. Paul and Barnabas are, are not in disagreement over the message of the gospel. Rather, they are in disagreement over the methodology of how to get that gospel to the Gentiles. Beyond borders. So this is a different disagreement than what the churches dealt with earlier in Acts 15. That was a doctrinal issue, and there's no compromising on that. There's no compromise on the gospel in the heart of the gospel. This is a methodology issue, and there is sharp disagreement over that. Now, the whole disagreement centers around a young disciple named John Mark. Look what Luke how Luke describes the disagreement in verses 37 through 38. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So their disagreement comes down to this. We can summarize it this way. and It's really how Luke summarizes it. Barnabas was determined to take Mark with them on the second missionary journey, but Paul insisted they should not take him. Now here's the question, though. Why are Barnabas and Paul so sharply divided over this individual, this young disciple named John Mark? Well, it all goes back to an incident that took place on their first missionary journey. John, Mark, was the cousin of Barnabas. And so when Paul and Barnabas set sail for their first missionary journey, they brought along Mark as an assistant or helper. We know that from Acts 13, verse 5. But we also know in Acts 13 that Mark only lasted for a small part of the journey. Luke tells us in Acts 13 that when they got to Pamphylia, which was a coastal province of Asia Minor, Mark left them. He left them and headed back home to Jerusalem. In other words, he bailed on the team and he bailed on the mission. Now, nobody really knows why John Mark quit and hit it home. Was it the rigors of missionary life? In looking at the itinerary of that first missionary journey, it's clear that the easiest part of the journey was well behind them. In long mountain treks into possibly unfriendly towns lay ahead of them still. 
Perhaps it was made way, way more than what John Mark had bargained for. Perhaps he couldn't get along with Paul. Maybe John Mark felt that his cousin Barnabas should be the leader. After all, he's probably a little older than Paul, more established, whatever the case may be. Perhaps John Mark is just simply homesick. And he quits and goes home. He's a mama's boy. I don't know. Who knows? Whatever the reason, this much we do know. At a crucial, critical moment in the journey, on the mission, John Mark suddenly abandoned the team. No one knows why, but one day he said, I'm leaving. So he left Paul and Barnabas and returned home. In fact, we get insight into how Paul really felt about Mark leaving when he uses this word, or Luke uses the word for Paul, departed. That is the same word that later in the Gospels or in the New Testament is also used for somebody that abandons or departs from the faith. Now, Luke is not saying that John Mark departed from the faith. He's not an apostate. But in other words, Paul thinks... You abandon us. You abandon the team. You abandon the mission at the most critical point in time. You departed and left us to hang and dry. So Barnabas and Paul, when it came time for the second missionary journey, Barnabas says to Paul, hey, let's take John Mark with us and let's give him another chance. To which Paul replied, forget it. There's no way we're taking him again with us on another journey. And so Paul and Barnabas, they argued sharply over whether to take John Mark with them on this second missionary journey. So here's what we have. It's really nothing more than two strong-willed missionaries. That's what you have going on. That is the picture here. You have Barnabas' determination on one side, and you have Paul's insistence on another side, and that is a formula for contention. And that is the word that Luke uses. Luke says Barnabas was determined to take John Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not. Now, Barnabas, when that word determined, it means an unchanging mindset. In other words, Barnabas wasn't going to change his mind. And the word insistence here means that Paul had a firm mindset. He, his mind is in concrete on this issue. And there's no change in that. And the verb tense indicates that their disagreement, get this, it was continual and it was contentious. In other words, they didn't just argue once about it and let it go. There wasn't a one-time conversation. It was an unending and unyielding disagreement. And what Luke is trying to convey to us is that they argued over and over and over again, and the more they argued, the more contentious it got. In other words, it was heated, and it was intense, and it was passionate, and emotions were aroused. Now, we all here can relate to this, can we not? Unless you've been hiding in a cave all your life, we all can. Every one of us understands this. Eugene Peterson spells it out this way. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark along, the John nickname Mark, but Paul wouldn't have him. He wasn't about to take along a quitter who, as soon as the going got tough, had jumped ship on them in Pamphylia. Tempers flared, and they ended up going their separate ways. 
And all of this raises the question we all want to ask and know, right? Who was right? Barnabas or Paul? Who's right? Well, notice in your notes here, Barnabas was focused on the man while Paul was focused on the mission. What we mean by that is Barnabas saw a possible restoration in taking Mark, while Paul saw a practical risk to the mission in taking Mark. You see, Barnabas saw real potential in his young cousin who had quit when things got tough. But he was young, and given another opportunity, he might just prove valuable this time around. You can almost hear Paul, I mean Barnabas, in his argument to Paul, say something like, man, we serve a God of grace. He's the God of second chances. Our God never gives up on anybody. Paul, you may have written Mark off, but I'm not writing him off because God has not written him off. So who are you to write him off? Remember Peter? He denied our Lord three times, yet the Lord restored him. How is this any different? However, Paul was focused on the mission as they were about to leave on their second missionary journey. This was no walk in the park. They were going into dangerous and difficult territory to take the gospel beyond borders. Paul was stoned and left for dead in Lystra on their first missionary journey. And Paul's thinking is, you know what, we can expect the same and more. It's not going to get easier. In fact, it will probably be harder. We can expect to face hardship, opposition, persecution, and sickness on the second missionary journey. As we will see next Sunday, he's exactly right. You can almost hear Paul telling Barnabas, there's no place for quitters on this journey. There's no place for the faint of heart. I can't take the risk of having Mark quit on me again and jeopardize the mission. It's just too important. I'm not saying God can't use him. He's just not fit for the front lines of being a missionary. He just needs to stay back in Jerusalem, work in the church, get some more experience, grow up, mature a little bit. As Dick Vermeil said, pull up your diapers and put some big boy pants on. That's basically Paul's attitude here. So, again, I ask you the question, who do you think was right. Now, your answer, as you're formulating it in your mind, and more than likely you've already come to your own conclusion, actually says more about you than who the Bible says was right. One Bible scholar writes, no one can rightly blame Barnabas for giving his cousin John Mark a second chance nor Paul for fearing to risk him again. One's judgment may go with Paul, but one's heart goes with Barnabas. It's really rather interesting, in fact fascinating, that the Bible does not dwell on who was right and who was wrong here. No doubt both men had valid points. Both men were convinced that they were right. Both men could even quote Scripture to support their case. 
regardless of who was right or wrong, here's the issue that Luke wants us to see. Both men were unwilling to budge on the issue. Unfortunately, things got so heated between Paul and Paul that verse 39 says, then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And what we see here is the glorious ruin of a great partnership. Notice this in your notes. Barnabas and Paul, partners on the first missionary journey, separated from each other, never to work again. It's not exactly the best day for the early church. Two great leaders in the early church can't get along. They can't work out their differences, and they end up splitting up. And when Luke says Paul and Barnabas parted from one another, it means a total break in the partnership. In fact, their disagreement was so sharp that when they left, their relationship was torn apart. As far as we can tell from this text, they left unreconciled. There's no happy ending here. And yet, we must see something in this text as well. We must see something in this disagreement. And that is that Jesus is still Lord of both of these missionaries. And Jesus is still Lord over their separation too. Which means there's hope despite heartache. Which brings us to the third principle here. Learn from the hope of these two missionaries. Now it seems that nothing good could come from this breakup. Yet both of these men, please understand, were ruled and overruled by a sovereign God who specializes in using all things, even bad things, things that break our heart, for His ultimate glory and for the world's good. Although Paul and Barnabas could no longer work together, they both still were working for the same Lord. This disagreement was not going to sideline either one of them. The men on their teams changed. Yes, we will see that. But the mission was still the same. Going beyond borders with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, notice this in your notes here. Paul and Barnabas were still hopeful of advancing the gospel beyond borders. But now, with two missionary teams going to two different places. Again, it's fascinating what Luke chooses to focus on for our benefit and what he doesn't reveal to us. Luke focuses on the sovereign fruit of this separation. Two missionary teams instead of one advancing the gospel beyond borders. Look at it. See it in verse 39 through 41. Luke tells us, And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, which just, by the way, happens to be Barnabas' hometown. That's where he's from. So it was normal, natural for him to go back to the island of Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And then you drop down 
to chapter 16 in the first three verses, and Luke tells us, Then Paul came to Derbe and Lystra, which is where he was before on the first missionary journey. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted to have him go on with him. In other words, Timothy replaced Mark. Mark was an assistant or helper on the first missionary journey. Barnabas takes Mark. Paul takes Timothy to be his young protege. Here's a simple analysis that God's mission, and this is beautiful, can't be stopped by our imperfections. Before the disagreement, two men, Paul and Barnabas, were on one team going to one place. After the disagreement, there are now five men. There's Paul and Silas, Timothy, Barnabas, and Mark. On two different teams going to two different places. In other words, the gospel is now being advanced by more people in more places than ever before. Now at the same time, let me also just quickly add to this. In no way, in no way does this justify anger and bitterness, discord and division among God's people. Doesn't justify it. But it does. And I believe this is why Luke records it for us. It does illustrate God's power to sovereignly use disagreements to advance the gospel beyond borders. So what happened to John Mark? We know Barnabas took Mark and they sailed back to Cyprus to strengthen the churches on that island. But did Paul's actions or attitude towards him have a negative impact on him for the rest of his life? Well, here's the, if we can say it this way, the rest of the story. By the way, we all have the rest of the story in our lives. God is still writing that story. Aren't you thankful for that? Because after failure, God picks us up and continues to write the story. And there's a story here, a behind-the-scenes story, if you will, the rest of the story, and I want to frame it with a question. Notice this. Can Christ followers who have failed in life in ministry ever find true usefulness again? And by the grace of God, the answer is what? Yes. You see, Paul thought John Mark was a quitter. Paul tagged him as unfit for the ministry. And you know what? Paul wasn't necessarily wrong in that. That was an accurate description at the time. But did he ever change his opinion? That is Paul of John Mark. And the answer is yes. So let me give you the rest of the story. Fifteen years have now passed. And Paul is now imprisoned in Rome. And at the end of his letter to the Colossians, Paul adds these telling words in Colossians 4, verse 10. He says, My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And then we have this little parenthesis. You have received instructions about him, Mark, if he comes to you, welcome him. John, Mark, and Paul are not only friends, but now that Paul is in prison, who's there taking care of him? Mark. 
Whoa, blow me away. On whom, and get this, what's interesting, in Colossians 4, verse 11, Paul even adds these words. He's writing, he's mentioning about six different men, of which Mark is one of them, and he says this about all of them, all of them including Mark, they have been a comfort to me. In other words, Mark has been a comfort to me. Three years Three more years pass, and Paul is in prison for the last time. In fact, soon he will be put to death. And from his prison cell in Rome, Paul writes to his young friend Timothy. And listen to what Paul urges Timothy to do in 2 Timothy 4.11. He says, Timothy, Timothy, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. So in his last days of life, Paul wanted John Mark by his side. What a change from his earlier opinion. In the beginning, Paul didn't want anything to do with Mark because he thought he was a loser. But at the end of his life, Paul says he's useful to me in ministry. Bring him to me. I need him. He's a comfort to me. Listen, all of this is a great reminder for every one of us here. No Christ follower. No Christ follower is beyond the hope of God's grace. No matter how bad the fall may be, there is a road back to usefulness. Mark was not doomed to live out a second-rate Christian life, never to experience the smile of God's favor on his life and ministry ever again. Think about it. And this is mind-boggling. God would later choose this guy, the one who bailed on the first missionary journey to actually write what gospel? Mark. The same man wrote the gospel of Mark. Again, this doesn't justify what he did on the first missionary journey. Quitting in the middle of ministry is never appropriate, never right. But God forgives repentant sinners, and so should we. The good news of the gospel is this. Sins can be forgiven, amen? And not only that, Christ followers can be restored. It's a beautiful thing, the gospel of grace. I'm so thankful for the rest of the story. There's always hope in the midst of heartache with the gospel of grace. Now, let me kind of wrap all this up. And there are a lot of lessons we could draw from this, but let me just leave you with four. Four lessons for today. Number one, because we are imperfect people, disagreements are inevitable. Disagreements are inevitable when two or more imperfect people get together. It's just a fact of life. Think about it. Paul and Barnabas were two of the greatest men God had used in advancing the gospel and growing his church, and yet these two great missionaries had a sharp disagreement that led to their separation, which shows us that both Paul and Barnabas were far from perfect. Listen, the best of men are men at best. Even Christians like Paul and Barnabas are capable of sharp disagreements. Now, what's interesting is Luke never says something about the Antioch church here in relation to this disagreement. And here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say 
that the Antioch church was divided over this disagreement. This was a disagreement between two church leaders, and yet the rest of the church, they did not allow it to impact them in a sense where they divided over it. They did not, they, they saw this for what it was. It was just an honest disagreement about whether Mark should join them on their second missionary journey. It's an example of two men who've come to different judgments about the best way forward. They didn't make more of it than what it was. They didn't let it evolve into a power struggle where people in the church are picking sides. At the same time, it should be noted that the Antioch church did commend, commissioned Paul and Silas before departing on their missionary journey, while nothing is mentioned of Barnabas and Mark being commended. Now, what do we make of that? Well, I do think it is significant, but Luke really doesn't tell us what to make of that. I would be hesitant to read into that, that the church at Antioch thought Paul was right and Barnabas was wrong. I don't think that's a proper judgment to make on their commissioning, and yet I do think the commissioning is significant. I do think it speaks of something. Because Paul then placed himself under the leadership of the Antioch church before he went out. Why Paul and Barnabas and Mark is nothing's mentioned, we don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. He gives us no indication why that didn't take place. Number two, a second lesson. Separation may be preferable to continual disagreement. I find it interesting that Paul wrote more about unity in the church than any other man in the New Testament. Isn't that ironic? Later in life, Paul wrote in Romans 12, 18, If possible, so far it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. If possible. Do you think Paul is writing from experience here? Perhaps this experience? Paul understands that sometimes outward unity isn't possible. Sometimes separation may ultimately be preferable to continual disagreement and unending contention. And so we can summarize the matter this way. The command for unity is always there, but sometimes we may have to obey it separately. In other words, agree to disagree and go our separate ways. The reality is not all disagreements can be resolved. But they should be finished with respect, which brings us to our third lesson. If we must separate, do so with respect, not with rancor, which simply means anger or bitterness, nastiness or vindictiveness. It's not a sin to disagree. Aren't you thankful for that? Well, that was pretty weak. Aren't you thankful it's not a sin to disagree? Man, I'd be in a heap of trouble in my marriage if it was. Listen, we don't have to agree on everything. Let me tell you, in the church office, we have a few that like it cold, and we have a few that like it, well, a little warmer. We disagree on the thermostat. I won't give you any indications on who and what. You can figure that out. And it goes beyond that. Some of us like Diet Coke. Some prefer caffeine-free Coke. And so when Dana goes to Sam's and buy it, we have to say, can you please buy both? We disagree on flavor. We disagree. Some of us prefer Taco Bell versus Taco Bueno. There's just, that's just a fact of life here. But if we're going to separate over it, do so with respect. We don't have to agree on everything, but if we must separate, then do so with respect and not with 
rancor. If we have to disagree, and sometimes we do, and if we have to go our separate ways, and sometimes we do, then again, let us do so with what? Respect. Not with resentment and bitterness and vindictiveness. Lesson number four. Because of Jesus, there is always the possibility of reconciliation. That's what the gospel can do for you. The gospel reconciles. It reconciles us as sinners to God the Heavenly Father. But the gospel is also the power to reconcile one another in our broken relationships. Sometimes our disagreements seem so deep we think that we are separated forever. But because of Jesus, there's always the possibility of reconciliation, even though it may take years for that to occur. What's interesting here is we never see Paul and Barnabas together again in the book of Acts. In fact, from this point forward, Barnabas is never mentioned again. It's like he just falls off the pages of Acts. So you may be wondering, did they ever reconcile Paul and Barnabas? Well, we have one hint, one clue. In 1 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul mentions Barnabas as a, quote, fellow worker in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ten years have now passed from the time of this disagreement. And Paul is able to look at Barnabas and say, my friend, my partner, my co-worker. And I believe this is a clue that may indicate that Paul and Barnabas did eventually reconcile with one another. We don't know conclusively. Now there is much more that could be said from this missional messiness when two missionaries disagree. But I close with what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 15. Listen to his words. Specifically verses 5 and 6. Paul says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, at the end of the day, that's what matters. That's the only thing that matters. My opinion of something versus your opinion of something, yes, it may lead to a disagreement, but at the end of the day, let us as Christ followers who have experienced the amazing, radical grace of God in the gospel, let it bring us unity and one-mindedness so that we may glorify God. In the end, Paul and Barnabas separated, not over, over doctrine, not over the gospel, but over a methodology of who to take. And even then, they still had the same goal in mind. We're going to glorify God through this. We will not let this hinder the mission that God has called us to. And God sovereignly used it 
to advance his gospel beyond borders to more people than they ever thought before. We see this happen all the time throughout the ages of the church. And even in our own lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Oh, how we thank you for such a real story here, a true story that you have recorded for us about a disagreement between two missionaries. Because, Lord, when we read this story, we find ourselves in this story. It's a story of our lives. It's a story of so many churches and Christians alike. And so, Lord, open up our hearts and minds to see ourselves in it, to grow, to learn from it. And when we do disagree, to not let it hinder the mission and most of all, your glory. But Lord, we would stay focused on what the purpose is all about, going beyond borders with your gospel. So Lord, speak to our hearts and teach us. And perhaps we're even in a disagreement now with another Christ follower, a family member, a church member, a friend, whoever. Lord, prick our hearts. And if perhaps we need to go to someone and offer forgiveness or maybe give forgiveness, to maybe reconcile. Lord, give us the grace even to do that. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Praise team's going to sing just a chorus of invitation. And while you're seated, you go to the Lord. Do business. Respond as the Lord leads. <laughs>